Morning. Scripture reading this morning will be from Hebrews 3, 17 through 4, 2. And if you'd like to follow along with me, that will be in the Pew Bible, starting on page 1063. That's page 1063, Hebrews 3, 17 through 4, 2. And I will be reading from the New American Standard. And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see that they were not able to enter of unbelief, because of unbelief. Therefore, let us fear least, let us fear lest that while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you should do should seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard not. They heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. Good morning. It's good to see you on this foggy Sunday morning. It's good to be here to worship God. If you're a guest, we are thankful that you're here. It encourages us and we want to be an encouragement to you. We want to remind everyone of the Latin America dinner this Tuesday night. You can get here as early as 630 and the dinner is provided. And uh, but especially try to get here at least by seven. And after a delicious meal, we'll learn more about what is happening right now in Latin America missions. And also we'll hear especially from Phil Wagner, which we know and love dearly in this congregation. And you'll have the opportunity that night to support Latin America missions and or also to support Phil Wagner in his work of Latin America missions, as this is the time that he raises his annual support. So we want to encourage you to be sure and, and let it be known if you are planning on going and if you can come and be a part of it, or if not, if you can just support, it's a great work. Also, coming up this next Sunday, it's real exciting to think about We Are the Sermon Day. It's always a great day in October. It's a day that we try to go out in the community and we show the love of God as we serve individuals in the community and give Him the glory. And we hope that they hear this love. The love of God is loud. It's hard to ignore it. And that's all we're trying to do on that day. So we want you to picture yourself next Sunday involved in the afternoon with your classes. This morning, your classes will talk more about that and make more of the final plans that will be taking place uh, this coming Sunday. As we think this morning about the text that was just so capably read, God is urging us to have a mixture in our life. I hope every one of us will leave this worship service this morning after studying God's word about the mixture that we must have in our life to say, I am determined to do that. And ultimately, that mixture will come down to trust. I'd like for you to imagine with me for just a moment and to make it more realistic, let's, let's imagine that someone is, is with us. We're out at a picnic table and we have a doctorate someone who has a doctorate in science or biology or something, and we also have an eighth grade student. And on the picnic table, we bring out our Mentos and we bring out our Diet Coke. And we sit them there and we just keep watching and watching. We say, I don't understand. I thought this was really gonna be a neat experiment. And so the, the one that has a doctorate in science probably say, hey, I'll have to go back to the lab and see. And you know what the eighth grader will say, did you not see my YouTube video? 
Let me show you how this works. It says you, your problem is you've just set them near each other. If you'll take the top off and put the Mentos in the bottle, oh, it'll be amazing what'll take place. But you see, the eighth grader would explain to you is that the two have to be combined. They have to be brought together. Listen, there's something far more powerful than, than the gush of Diet Coke fountain that will take place in our life. If we will come to the Lord as a humble believer in the fullness of the word, approaching the word of God, I'd like for you to look back in your Bible again with me at Hebrews, the fourth chapter and verse one. And I want you to think about how God is urging us to mix our life, all that we are with his holy word. Look there in the fourth chapter and verse two, the fourth chapter and verse two. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them. In other words, there was no advantage. Why was it not of an advantage? Not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Isn't that amazing? He says, look, there could have been a great profit. There could have been a great response, a great reaction in their life that produced a profitable life. But he says the problem was they heard the gospel and right here the word gospel simply means good news because he's talking about Old Testament which did not know fully about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So he's saying the children of Israel, they had the good news preached to them. The good news for them was you can be free from slavery and you can have a home, a promised land. He says that gospel was preached to them but they didn't let it mix. Notice that's the biblical word. They didn't let it mix into their life as a believer. This morning, if you're visiting with us and you're an unbeliever, you're probably thinking, well, of course, I wouldn't want the word of God mixing in my life in the sense that I would be totally engaged with God. I've learned throughout my life of living that you've got to look out for number one. Nobody else will take care of you like you'll take care of yourself. I've learned in life, you don't fully trust anybody. You don't fully trust any situation. You take care of yourself. You may be here this morning as a believer, but not in the fullness of the word. You may be here this morning simply as an intellectual believer. You believe that there is a God with all your being. You believe that the Bible is from God. You believe that it's a very good thing to obey parts of the Bible. You believe that it's good to come to church some. You believe that it's good to give a lot. You believe that it's good to be a good person. But that's where it stops. You would never dream of totally in every aspect of your life saying, God, I trust you. Whatever your word ask of me, I will do it. And so I'll go to work, first of all, thinking, talking, and acting as your word expects me to do. I'll go into the community, I will go into the home, I will go in my personal life, everything that I am, I will do that. That person that is only an intellectual believer, they haven't done that yet. Because to them it's too risky and a great part of their risk is just selfishness. There's a lot of things I like about the world that I just don't want my part of that part of the world to change. 
I'm not ready to give up those things. And so the Bible has several words for that kind of believer. It's, it's, it's a believer who is a hypocrite. In other words, around one crowd, I talk one game and I look one way, but when that crowd's not looking, I'm another. The Bible has another word for it. It's called lukewarmness. Sure, I believe there's a God. Sure, I obey a lot of things. God, I probably obey 85% of the things God asks. But would I obey everything? Oh, no, no, no. I'm not going to be zealous for God. Just a little bit of controlling it myself the way I want it to be. And then there would be others here this morning that you understand this verse. And when you read it slowly, you actually start smiling because you think that is so true how much it profits life whenever we approach God and His Word saying, God, I trust you. What would we do? What would we do if we had to rely on our own means to get through life? It would scare me to death if I had to live life depending on David Shannon. There is a wisdom attached to a living and powerful God that we can trust. And so if you'll notice back in verse 1 of Hebrews, the fourth chapter, he's showing us an illustration of those that were about to do this, but they fell short. See there in the fourth chapter in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, lest... Let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. So he's saying there is this life that we can have that is rest. It's a peace that passes understanding. It's a hope of eternal rest. And he says, the problem is, and just before this, the scripture that was read just before this, the third chapter, he's been talking about the children of Israel. And so now he's using them as an illustration to say they fell short. What if some of us fell short? Listen, there's some things that you just can't afford to fall short of. Oh, if you're just going out for a morning run and, and you're going to run three miles and, and at, at two mile marker, you're just like, I can't go anymore this morning. You fell short of your mark. That's not a big deal. Maybe you're going to save X number of dollars a month and maybe this month you're, you're 25 under what you were going to save. You fell short of your goal. That's probably not a big deal. Listen, we could illustrate millions of things that you could fall short on, and it's not that big a deal. But what if we fall short of eternal life? What if we fall short of the rest that God offers us? Not just, not just when Jesus comes again in the great resurrection. I'm talking today. We can have rest today that is found in Jesus Christ. What if we fall short of that rest? We're missing the purpose of our life, the glory that our life ought to be to God, and that's literally what the Hebrew writer is talking about. And last Sunday, morning and night, a lot of what we studied is background. I want to spend just a few moments reminding you of some of the things we studied, but I wanted you to see this text in Hebrews where a New Testament writer is saying, let's learn from them. Let's not fall short. If you will, be backing up in your Bible to Exodus, and let's think about a few things in just a moment. You remember the children of Israel, because of a famine, they went and moved to Egypt just so they could live. And through the long providential care of God, Joseph was already there. Joseph died, the Pharaoh died, and now there is a new king, a new Pharaoh in place that does not know the children of Israel. 
but they had grown mighty. Look in the first chapter in verse 7. The children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew, ex grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. And the new king comes in, verse 8. Look at verse 9. He said, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. Look at verse 11. He set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built the cities. These are slave cities that were built or by slave resources. Look at 14. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and etc. that they made them serve as with rigor. You see the picture here. They had become full-fledged slaves. And then because they were growing mighty and powerful in number and in strength. They weren't just slaves. They were slaves that were to be intentionally broken down, weakened. We can't have them this great in number. Let's work them till their population decreases. It wouldn't take us long in that situation, probably by lunchtime for every one of us here to say, I want a place of rest. I don't like this place. This place the, the taskmasters are unfair. The work is unfair. This place is a great burden. You can die in this place. What do you want? I want rest from this. Do you realize if you flip a few pages in your Bible, look at the sixth chapter, Exodus the sixth chapter. That is exactly what God was offering. He was offering a land of rest. And when you think about rest, I don't want you to just think about a lazy boy recliner. We're talking about free from taskmasters that literally will kill you. We're talking about work that is too substantial for you on your own to hold up under. You see, the spiritual message is Satan is a taskmaster that will destroy your soul. He will put you involved in a work in the world that your soul cannot exist in that work in the world. The burden is too heavy to bear spiritually on your own. And so that's why the Hebrew writer pulls this as an illustration to show us spiritually why we should look for rest in Christ Jesus. Look at the sixth chapter of Exodus in verse six. Therefore, this is God saying to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. See the, the deliverance there, the rest. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people. What, what a beautiful promise. I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you from under the burden of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land. And so we see this beautiful place of rest. And, and brethren, again, I just want to emphasize to you. It was a beautiful land. It flowed with milk and honey. But let's, and, and I'm not taking away from that when I say this, but I'm just saying, let's be honest. If you got out from under those taskmasters and you were no longer being worked to death, you'd probably think a lot of places were beautiful. In other words, I say that to say, can you imagine the extreme? Here's a place where you literally are dying. Here's a place where God says, I can give you rest. I can give you life. What an amazing thing. 
And so they were put to the test. They came out. You remember he parted the waters. First, he had the 10 plagues. He parted the waters. They, they survived as the Egyptians. Many of them died in the waters. They went out across the wilderness. And remember, they were hungry. And so he gave them manna and they were thirsty. He gave them drink. He gave them commandments while they sat down there and built a golden calf and tested God again. And finally, they come right over to the edge and they decide, we're going to send out 12 spies. We're going to look at this land that God gives us because the land was inhabited. And so there had to be a battle. But God promised, I'll take care of you. It's not that not many of you will die. God will take care of you so that none of you die. You follow my leadership and I'll give you this land. Do you think they're going to trust him? They went and they spied. Look in Numbers, the 13th chapter. Turn to Numbers, the 13th chapter. <clears throat> then they told him. This is what the spies said when they came back. Numbers 13 and 27. We went to the land where you sent it, where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. In other words, see, they're saying what God said is right. It, it really is a wonderful land. And this is its fruit. And they were bringing back grapes, the clusters so large, they put a pole between them and two man, men carried them. And so it really is kind of beyond our imagination. 28. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. In other words, that's giants. And then they list the nations there that are known for their militant strength and being powerful warriors. Do you see what's happening here? They're saying, oh sure, it'd be a great land if it wasn't so strong. How are we gonna conquer them? Look at those fortified cities. How are we going to bust through those walls? And as we're trying to bust through the walls, look at those giants. Look at those skilled soldiers. All we've been doing is working as slaves. They have been training how to kill us. Hey, you can talk about how great this land is all you want. I'd rather live than go and die trying to get a land that is too great for us. Caleb speaks up. Remember, you have 12 spies, two of them. Now, this is very important as we use this word today. We're using it the way the Bible uses it. Caleb and Joshua are believers in the fullness of the word. A believer in the fullness of the word is the one that puts their full trust in God. No matter what you ask God, I believe you. No matter what you ask God, I believe you. Full trust. And so Caleb looks, he was one of the spies too. He looks at this whole situation in Numbers 13 and verse 30. And he said, he quieted the people before Moses. You can imagine him having to quiet them because they've heard this and they're in an uproar. And he says, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. Notice that word overcome. Overcome is the idea of victor. It's the idea that the oppressor cannot stop us. We can overcome. And as a matter of fact, when should we do it, Caleb? Right now. Why? Because God has told us he'll give it to us. We overcome when we do what God asks right now. Beautiful. He's not the only one. Look at Joshua, Numbers, the 14th chapter. The 14th chapter in, in 7, he begins talking. Look at verse 8. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us a land which flows with milk and honey only, now this is what is quoted in, in, in uh, Hebrews, 
Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. In other words, his plea is, don't rebel against God, obey them. Don't fear these people, fear God. And the fear for God is an awesome respect and fear that says, God, I'm afraid to not follow you. I fear you. Whatever you ask, I will gladly do. I trust you. What I fear is when people try to get me to not do the right thing. I fear when my own eyes see things and say, oh, you shouldn't trust God on this one. That's what we ought to be afraid of. And so the 10 spies spoke up. Numbers the 13th chapter, back up to 31. Numbers 13 and 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out. Notice they all had seen the power of God. They all had seen the power of the enemy. And two of them believed and said, we trust God. Let's go right now. Ten of them did not believe. Now note this. They believed intellectually there was a God. They believed that what God had said was really what God had said. They probably would still obey some things about God. But when it came down to the fact, are you going to be willing to go in and face giants in your life? I don't trust God enough to do that. And that brings us to an important thing. Look with me if you will of God's response in Numbers 14 and 22. Numbers 14 and 22, this is God's response. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and the wilderness and have put me to the test now these 10 times. You can go back and read. Uh, there are 10 times that they openly rebelled or complained against God, not trusting him. And, but notice what, how he defines this of testing him. Having not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land. See, they didn't believe, they didn't trust, they didn't obey, so they're not gonna have entrance into the land of rest, of which I swore to the fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. And you read on down and you see that any of those that are 20 years of age and older, I think last week I said 21, but it's 20 years and older, he says they're not going to be allowed to enter into that land. What does that mean? They fell short. That's what he's talking about in Hebrews 4 and 1. They got right over to the edge. They weren't back in Egypt anymore. They weren't in the middle of a Red Sea anymore. They weren't out in the wilderness back in the middle of it anymore. They got right to the edge. It was right there. And their unbelief caused them to fall short. They go back into the wilderness, not to tour it for 40 years and see what's next. 20 years and older, went back to the wilderness to die. That became their cemetery over the next 40 years. This next slide shows us the times of unbelief. This, and the slide after that shows us the rest. If you look it up in a dictionary, it's refreshing. That's what repentance and the forgiveness of sins is according to Acts 3 and 19. 
to be refreshed from ease or inactivity, that would be from the rigor, the spiritual sin, the sin that weighs, weighs on us spiritually. We need rest from that. The relief or freedom, that would be from slavery. The fourth one, a period or interval of inactivity, that would be the rest like a Sabbath day in the Old Testament. The fifth one though is mental or spiritual calm, tranquility. That's the peace that passes understanding when we come to Jesus Christ. And we are not in the world any longer. We are in Christ. We trust God. We have laid it all down on the line. And that is an amazing time. So Israel's unbelief, if you go back to the third chapter and you look at 16, 17, 18, and 19, and the third chapter in verse 16, he says they rebelled. We just read that. 17 says they sinned. 18 says they did not obey. And 19 says they did not enter because of unbelief. You know, it's interesting when people start growing spiritually, how many people that I just in contact with, they'll say, this has become my favorite verses in the Bible. I want you to think about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 as we think about what we've studied today. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Are, are you going to be willing to do everything God asks? It comes down to whether or not you trust him with all of your heart. Now you can lean on your own understanding. I tell you what I've seen, I saw the giants. I saw the fortified cities. I saw their skill and how trained they were. Okay, which one are you gonna do? You're gonna lean on your own understanding? Or are you gonna trust in the Lord and say, God, your will be done. It doesn't matter what my eyes see and it doesn't matter what it cost me. I trust you. The next verse, verse six. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Well, how do we do that? By putting our trust in him and everything. And he will direct your paths. As we move to a close, I'd like for you to think about Hebrews, the fourth chapter in verse one, where we were told that we have a promise of rest, but we do not need to fear or fall short of it. In the fourth chapter in verse two, we were told that it was the gospel of rest. That's Christ's covenant. That's the good news of the resurrection. It has to be mixed. That gospel has to be mixed. Go back to the Mentos and the Diet Coke. If there's gonna be any positive reaction, it has to be mixed with a believer. The word of God can't just be carried in my hand often, set in my lap in a Bible class often, thrown on the seat in the car, not stand beside my bed. Somewhere along the way, I have to decide, am I going to allow this word to be learned? Learned in such a way that I am willing to apply it to everything in my life. Unless we do that, we have no power. It's realizing that it's the word of God. It's all about a relationship with God. It's realizing that God is alive, his word is alive, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. You see that in the same chapter there in Hebrews, the fourth chapter in verse 12. In verse 11, he tells us to be diligent. And so the problem that we see that we can learn from Israel is that they rebelled instead of obeyed. They sinned instead of served. They disobeyed instead of heeding the word. They wandered instead of entering. They did not trust God. You UT fans had a great day yesterday, didn't you? A lot of the Tennessee teams did. I got to hear an interview yesterday. Some of you probably heard it. 
I, I just got into the truck and turned it on and I missed even who it was saying it, but it was a senior on UT's team. And so they're being interviewed after the game and talking about the victory and how great it was to beat South Carolina. And, and so Coach uh, Butch Jones, it being his first year, he, they asked him about, well, what, what about... What about him as a coach? What do you think about him? How, how are the other seniors reacting to him? And they said, oh, he's a great coach. He said, he's a great man. And then his tone changed. He said, you know what? He's like a father to us. And then he said, we would run through a wall for him. Notice how it went from this is what he asked us to do so this is who He has become in our life. Now we trust Him. We would do anything He asks of us. Listen, the Word of God is not some document detached from God and it has nothing to do with God, but He hopes that you'll follow it. This is the will of God saying, I want you to be close to me. I want to protect you. I want to lead you to a great land. I want you to what? Trust me. What does it mean to run through a wall for somebody? If you don't know what it means, get up right now and try to run through that wall. And you know what you'll find out? You'll find out you can't do it. You can't run through a wall. So where does that expression come from? The expression comes from the fact of, I trust that person so much, if they ask me to do something that is impossible, I would do it. That's when we're ready to serve God. When we're ready to say, Lord, Here's the giants that I face, and I trust you. Here's the fortified cities in my life that I have to go up against every day, and I trust you. I want your will to be done. What I learned today, number one, belief that gives entrance is an all-in belief. Number two, rest is probably underrated at the present time. You and I need to think about the spiritual rest we can have when we're not fighting the demons of sin every day. When we truly live, I'm not talking about that lukewarm business. Oh, I come to church every Sunday. I'm talking about when we are sold out for the Lord. That is a beautiful life. That rest is underrated. Number three, God wants us, God wants to help us, but He's limited based on our trust. God can't do very much for somebody that doesn't trust Him. He's never asked us, just believe I exist. He wants us to believe in the sense that we say, Lord, I trust you with everything. It's the power of His Word. It's alive, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's alive because it's God's Word, the living God. This morning, if we can help you move toward God, if we could help you trust God with everything you have, we'd like to do that. I offer this one challenge before we sing this song. You got about two and a half months left in this year. There's probably a lot of people sitting in these pews right now that are intellectual believers. You're probably 90% there. And if the Lord came right now, you would fall short. And you're scared. Because you don't know what people at work are going to say if you really sell out to God. You don't know how you're going to handle some of the hobbies that you have or some of the decisions you're going to have to make. I want to ask you to do something.
from now to the end of the year, just do it. What do you got to lose? Just give it two and a half months and see what happens in your life. Just get up every day and in every way. Live the will of God. And watch the powerful change that takes place as you enter that rest. You won't have to remember what lie you told last week. You won't have to wrestle with those addictions. You won't have to, you can just start filling in the blanks. What if you really did it? You won't ever know until you try it. But I can tell you this, if you'll ever try it, it will scare you to death to go back to lukewarmness. Sunday morning Christianity is probably the hardest way to live on this earth. You're never at peace. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If we can help you, come as we